Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is 2022. The place is your neighborhood. Your mission is to investigate Halloween sadism. Should we be canceling Halloween, checking our children's trick-or-treat candy for poison, razor blades, acid tabs? Well, let's grab our candy bags, dump it out on the table, and discuss. First, let's sift through the candy in our trick-or-treat bag. Well, you probably won't have any cookies, fruits, coins, or little toys. These were what would have been in your bags in the 1930s, early 1940s, when the custom of trick-or-treating started. If we were dumping candy on the table in a 1950s home, it would mostly have been candy because candy manufacturers begin to see Halloween trick-or-treating as an excellent promotions tool for their products. Now, people doling out the treats begin buying bagged candy because it was just easier and cheaper and less expensive than having to bake all those goodies or buying all these goodies and all these little toys and such. And it was more and more trick-or-treatings are showing up each year because, well, it's getting more popular. Okay, now I am going to have to digress a bit because Halloween is my favorite holiday. So I'm going to stop and do a little reminiscing. Remember your favorite Halloween costume as a kid? Well, I was lucky enough that I came from a family of women who were captains at the helm of sewing machines. And I also come from a very creative family. Now, these were the days of Wins, Five and Dime, SNH Green Stamps, Spartans, Piggly Wigglies. Our parents made our costumes and we were always the hit of the neighborhood. Or we could wear those plastic costumes made by Collegeville. Remember those? They had these hot plastic face masks that had the two little eye holes you could kind of see out of. And then they had those two little tiny nose holes that you could kind of breathe out of. And they were like these plastic little jumpsuit things. They had the little string tie in the back that usually fell off and your mom had to like improvise somehow. Well until they were deemed flammable and unsafe, you'd see these Collegeville costumes everywhere. And you notice how somehow, somewhere, Halloween is the holiday where something is always constantly being dubbed unsafe. And now there's talk about just canceling Halloween out altogether. Now, on a side note, you can find these Collegeville costumes on eBay and Etsy, and you're paying five times what you paid for them back in the day. But it's still kind of fun to look them up and say, oh, I was that costume one year, and I was that costume that year. And we had those little uh, plastic pumpkins with the black plastic handle to get our candy in. 
So, but anyway, let's get back to our bags of candy that we're opening now. Now it's 1970 and you and I've dumped out our candy bags on the table and we're separating out what we don't like. Okay, me personally, candy corn. Urgh. Does anybody really like that? There's got to be people out there because they keep making it. But anyway, so wrapped factory-made candy has become the safe thing to give out on Halloween. So what exactly happened now that we have to focus on the safe thing to give out on Halloween? No more cookies, no more cupcakes. Why did everyone suddenly panic and decide Halloween was a time to panic about what was being dropped into our little candy bag or our plastic pumpkin. Because sometime, somewhere, someone decided that no child is truly safe on Halloween because sadistic killers or psychotic drug dealers are out there putting razor blades or needles in our apples or they're tainting candy with poison or they're slipping tabs of acid that look like cartoon characters into our children's trick-or-treat bags. I remember in elementary school we had to take our uh, these mimeographed letters home to our parents with pictures of Mickey Mouse and it was saying beware on Halloween they're slipping tabs of acid into your kids trick-or-treat bags and the kids might taste the paper and I'm thinking first of all what is acid and secondly why would I taste paper but I digress and so you know we're, we're looking at all of these warnings and we're thinking okay so you know, this tabs of acid that look like cartoon characters, blades, needles, and app, you know, apples and such. It's called Halloween sadism. So how real is it? And how should we be worried? Should we, you know, wreck our brains, cancel Halloween, take our candy to the hospital and have it x-rayed like they suggested years, a couple of years ago? or just not even go, or the trunk or treat thing. We'll discuss that in a minute. Well, Joel Best is the expert on Halloween sadism, and he has studied this phenomenon for over 40 years. Joel Best is also a best-selling author, and let's look over what he has found about deaths attributed to Halloween sadism. Now, this is in the U.S and in Canada, and this is over a 40-year study, okay? First, we're going to talk about the, the case in Detroit, 1970. Um, a young man named Kevin Totson, he was five years old, and he died after eating heroin supposedly hidden in his Halloween candy. That was huge news, but less heavily publicized Kevin had found the heroin in a relative's home. That's what didn't make the news. And then there was the story of Timothy O'Brien. Now, that poisoned Halloween candy story, that put it all on the front page. That was our big poisoned Halloween candy story that made everything change. It took place on October 31st, 1974 in Pasadena, Texas. Seems a gentleman named Ronald O'Brien handed out cyanide-laced pixie sticks. Remember those? They were like the little straws. They were sealed off in the ends, and it had this flavored sugar um, that was basically like 
you cut you swallow a couple of them and you're up for hours well Ronald O'Brien stuck cyanide down in those pixie sticks along with that flavored sugar, sealed them off, and hands them out to five children. One of those five included his eight-year-old son, Timothy. Well, the other kids were like, bleh, pixie sticks, and they tossed theirs. But Timothy liked the pixie sticks, and he did eat his Halloween pixie stick candies. And, of course, perishes soon after. This makes headlines. Some fiend has poisoned a child's Halloween candy. Boom. Big explosion. Big story. The media eats it up. But let's go back to the truth. Of course, this is investigated. And the big investigation reveals that Ronald O'Brien had recently taken out a big life insurance policy on his son, Timothy. Investigation continues, and eventually Mr. O'Brien is convicted of murder and executed via lethal injection in 1984. It's Texas, man. We don't play. But the story remains. And even up to 2009, the attorney for O'Brien told the American Statesman newspaper, quote, my client was convicted of killing Halloween. And it was even called the Candyman Murder. Now that's the story that put it on the map. And, but here is where the myth and urban legend continues to blur into reality. Ronald O'Brien was not even targeting random trick-or-treaters. He knew these kids, okay, he, obviously he knew his son, and he targets his son and his friends with these pixie sticks. He was purposely trying to make them all die of this poison, covering his tracks, because then he could say, well, you know, I I don't know what happened, but it wasn't just my son. Jerk. But anyway, Ronald O'Brien was tried, convicted, and executed for the murder of his son. And a Halloween myth was born and continues to this day. Let's go to 1978 in Flint, Michigan, the Patrick Wiederhold case. This little one was only two years old, and he died after consuming Halloween treats. Big story. Only two years old, can't even enjoy Halloween because he dies after having his little Halloween candy. However, now this doesn't make big news. They tested tissue samples of little Patrick and they didn't find any traces of drugs any traces of poison and it was finally concluded that little Patrick's death was from natural causes oh did I mention that part did not make the news now we're going to go west to Santa Monica California and a little seven-year-old girl named Ariel Katz was trick-or-treating Halloween 1990 and little Ariel just collapses. Well, immediately the police confiscate all the kids' candy, and you know, the scare was just broadcast all around. But behind the scenes, her parents are telling authorities, telling the police, you know, Ariel had heart problems. The little girl had some very serious cardiovascular issues. That didn't make the news. It wasn't poison. 
It wasn't razor blades. It wasn't illicit drugs. The little seven-year-old's illness was discovered to be caused by a heart murmur. Now, obviously, they did all sorts of testing, uh, all, all sorts of investigation, no signs of poisoning. The coroner finally attributed it to death of an enlarged heart. Oh, just like the parents were trying to tell authorities. However, again, that never made the news. And finally, Joel Best discovered a case in Vancouver, British Columbia. This was in 2001. A little four-year-old girl died after eating some Halloween candy. And right away, police were advising parents, throw out all the Halloween treats, doesn't matter what. All parents need to gather all the candy, gather together that night and throw it out because it's tainted, it's poisoned, we don't know. Blase, blase. Okay, but this little four-year-old girl tests were run, pathology tests were ran, no evidence of poisoning, no signs of poisoning, didn't swallow anything, no razors, no needles, no anything. Autopsy showed she died of an infection. That last part, can you guess what happened? Didn't make the news. Joel Best has some amazing books out besides the uh, Halloween scares and such, and I would highly recommend any book by Joel Best for this full report on these Halloween scares. And for information on his books, go to www.joelbest.net. J-O-E-L-B-E-S-T.net. Okay, something else that kind of scared the hell out of people about this uh, poison candy stuff was in the early 1980s, a rash of what was dubbed the Tylenol poisonings occurred. It was in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois. An unknown person or persons removed some Tylenol bottles from a store shelf and they put potassium cyanide in some of the capsules and then they returned these bottles back to the shelves so that they would be sold to an unsuspecting public. And as a result of whoever did this, putting these bottles in there, seven people died. And it led to several copycat crimes. Now, they had their suspicions, but they never actually caught the person that did these crimes or admitted to doing these crimes. The Tylenol poisonings led to several copycat crimes across the United States. And this led to childproof caps on all our over-the-counter medication, which that means now that millions of Americans, like myself, probably yourself, now struggle to obtain a pill, just a little tiny pill out of this bottle. I think childproof means adults can't open it either just to get a little bill for a very annoying headache. And with my migraine medicine, my God, I might as well be a contortionist trying to get those pills out of that bottle. But this incident increased America's fear of tampering because, guess what? These Tylenol poisonings occurred in September, October of 1982, just in time for an already paranoid public for the poison in the Halloween candy alarmists.
we've got something else where people are, you know, uh, raising hell about and want to cancel Halloween about is pedophiles will be out. They'll be ready to snatch your child up, sell them into white slavery or, uh, you know, sexually abuse your kid. Uh, child snatching, waiting in the bushes, waiting in the darkness to grab up your kid and throw him in a rape van. All right, let's talk about the truth about child abduction for a moment here. First of all, only about 10% of child abduction is committed by strangers. And across the United States, it's been proven time and time again, child abductions are actually lower during the month of October, probably because there's a higher adult presence, particularly during Halloween trick-or-treat night. And when we're talking about snatching up a kid, child abduction, most children are taken by estranged parents or family member. Now that's not going to make the news. In the news today, uh, these people are having a divorce. The dad's pissed, the mom's pissed. Who's going to take the kid? They're arguing over kid because that's a power play. So on the dad's visitation, he took off with the kid. The grandparents have the kid and they're hiding him. That doesn't make the news. It's not as exciting as in the news today, a little girl went missing in the park. Nobody's where she is. They said a spooky guy was hanging around. That gets people's attention. And the news wants you to listen. We'll get to that in just a second. But nonetheless, Everybody's worried about a kid being snatched up on Halloween night because all the kids are out. Hey, abduction is lower during late October and trick-or-treat night, probably because there's a higher adult presence. Gavin DeBecker is this amazing author, and he has written several books, one of which is called The Gift of Fear. Highly recommend anything written by Gavin DeBecker. And he gives the most excellent advice. Don't listen to the news. If you want to know the truth about something, investigate it, study, and read it. Go to several different sources. Do you really want to keep children safe this Halloween? Are you really serious about keeping your kids safe? It is so very simple. Four words. Don't drink and drive. According to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, drunk driving fatalities rise on October 30th through 31st. And children darting out in front of cars also cause fatalities, or drivers not looking out for children. Because after all, it's a night where tens of millions of kids are wandering through the streets, they're excited, maybe they can't see well because of the costume, You know, they're running out to see their friends or crossing the street to go to this house, that house. They've got uh, yard decorations out there. It's very exciting. And studies are showing that children's risk of being struck by a car is four times higher on Halloween than on any other nights. And that was from a report by Morbidity and Morality Weekly Report. And State Farm Insurance has ran a study that says... Halloween has more child pedestrian fatalities than any other day of the year. Simple. Have kids wear reflective gear. Walk safely. Explain to the importance of looking where you're going and and keep reiterating. 
Okay, so you've got all these places having these things called trunk or treat in these uh, church parking lots or mall parking lots or anywhere large people can gather, trunk or treat, and it's reportedly safer, as in trick-or-treating in a mall. But I want you to think about something for a moment, okay? What comes with that trunk? Uh, a car is usually attached to a trunk. And we talk about trick-or-treating in the mall, okay? What is usually parked at the mall parking lot? Oh, again, cars. We can make trick-or-treating in neighborhoods safe. We don't have to teach our children fear of the world. We don't have to become fearful of the world. We don't have to scare the hell out of everybody with this business about poison apples or razor blades in the candy, all right? Think for a minute. Let's just use common sense. And I want to know this BS about canceling Halloween altogether. You know, well, I'm being told it's because it's worshiping devils and it's all about, you know, literally raising hell and spells and incantations. Okay, we're going to look into the real history of Halloween. And if it truly does worship demons and witches and trying to raise the dead in the next special show. This has been a special edition of Best True Crime. And I want you to be safe out there and enjoy life. Trick or treat. Hey guys, this is Judith Yates. And the National Safety Council has a list for simple steps for an extra safe Halloween. All you got to do is go to www.nsc.org. That's the National Safety Council. And they've got a load of good tips for you for Halloween. That includes costume safety and when children are going out for trick-or-treating. It's even got safety tips for motorists. Just all kinds of stuff that uh, is important for little ones when they're out on the prowl begging for that candy. So please go to www.nsc.org and pick up some simple steps for an extra safe Halloween. Be safe out there. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.